Brandon LaFell is bad. Woo, boy. <laughs> Brandon LaFell on his face this past weekend. And I aired. This was my biggest mistake of the year. Touting Brandon LaFell heading into week 13. Big mistake. Huge. I put him in my top 20 wide receivers for week 13. <sighs> Last week, we talked about the player rankings on playerprofiler.com and how we've been on a great run the last eight weeks. Well, week 13 was a bit of a hiccup. Not the best week for playerprofiler.com's rankings. Also, not a great week for our lineup optimizer either. One of the reasons... Brandon LaFell was in almost every lineup. God damn it. Damn you. But really, damn me. Damn me for playing Brandon LaFell because I should have known. That was a mistake that was foreseeable. It is a mistake I will correct for the future. I just, I can't believe that we went ahead and projected Brandon LaFell to exceed 15 fantasy points. It didn't, uh, I, I just... I'm just, I'm speechless. I can't believe we did that. Brandon LaFell, the target volume, the projected efficiency, it was all way off. Now, a lot of people played Brandon LaFell in DFS last week. We're not alone. And certainly, a lot of the analysis about Brandon LaFell's potential last week bled into our projection. It just, it happens. It happens. We're projecting targets. We're projecting receptions. We're projecting yards. We're projecting touchdowns. And what the public believes is going to happen, what the fantasy experts that the Roto Underworld team is surrounded by, what they're saying impacts our rankings, because of course it does. And we all saw Calvin Johnson ring up three touchdowns against the Eagles the previous week, against Eric Rowe, the starting cornerback for the Eagles, possibly the worst starting cornerback in the league. We expected to be matched up frequently with Brandon LaFell because he was matched up frequently with Calvin Johnson. And those two players are the main primary outside receivers for their respective teams. Calvin Johnson for the Lions, Brandon LaFell for the Patriots. Here's the problem. Here is the problem. Brandon LaFell is not Calvin Johnson. God damn it. What? If you look back in retrospect, it's just, duh. I mean, duh. Sometimes you make a mistake, you miss a projection, and you look back and you go, oh, you shrug your shoulders and go, oh, that, that didn't work out. No one could have seen that. Unexpected. Random. But in this case, you look back at Brandon LaFell and you go, I mean, hello? What were you thinking? And then so Tuesday Matt Kelly was looking back in time at Sunday Matt Kelly thinking, what were you doing? And then Sunday, Matt Kelly was like, I don't know. The rationale was that the Patriots always look to exploit the weakness of the opposing defense. We thought there was a chance that the Patriots might not use Blunt at all. They might just abandon the run altogether against the Eagles' stout front and just pass the entire game. And it turns out that Brady did pass it a lot. Rang up over 300 yards and three touchdowns. So... The Brady projection we got correct. The Brandon LaFell part of it, no. Because we projected Brandon LaFell to receive a tremendous target share with a great matchup. And the Eagles have good safeties. So this was supposed to be the week that Brady would pump the ball to the outside receivers. Brandon LaFell, Keyshawn Martin, 
No, no. But think about it. If you're going to project Brady to have 300 yards and three touchdowns, then the receptions, the yards, and the touchdowns have to go to someone. Why not Brandon LaFell? Why not? Well, well, he did actually receive nine targets, but we were expecting 10 to 15 targets. The players that received 10 to 15 targets were Danny Amendola and James White. That's right. I expected Danny Amendola to receive huge volume because, of course, if you go to the Roto Underworld Radio YouTube channel, there is a Danny Amendola Spellcaster highlight clip from the show in which I got into full Grand Wizard regale. Wait, not Grand Wizard. No, 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 not Grand Wizard, not Grand Wizard. No, I no, I did not get into my full Grand Wizard garb. No, I wasn't going to say that, and I would never do that. That's not right. I went into character, into a Gandalf character. Not really, a, more of a Gandalf crossed with the evil witch from Snow White. Anyway, I went into a full character mode, touting Danny Amendola, talking about how much I was thirsting to get my hands on Danny Amendola! So, of course, I expected Danny Amendola to receive upwards 15 targets last week, and, and we nailed the Danny Amendola projection. But man, not Brandon LaFell. We had a hole in the model. That's basically, it amounts to a hole in the model with our Patriots projection. And the hole in the model's name was James White. James White drunk Brandon LaFell's milkshake. Oh, one of my favorite scenes from any movie. Go watch it. There will be blood. I drank your milkshake! I drank it up! That's what he did. James White drank Brandon LaFell's blood. <laughs> no, he didn't. Just drank his milkshake. He just drank his targets. That was it. But you could say, well, he received nine targets. Nine targets is still a good amount. Why didn't he do more with those targets? Ah, here's the catch. And here's why I am particularly regretful of this misprojection of Brandon LaFell for week 13. Here's what gets me. Here are the roots of the regret factor. If you go to playerprofiler.com and you go to Brandon LaFell's page... And you look at his efficiency, you're trying to project what Brandon LaFell is going to do with those targets. Let's say I told you Brandon LaFell would receive nine targets in week 13. Let's just say you knew that. Then the question is, okay, that's a that's a fair amount of targets. That's a an above average number of targets for a starting wide receiver. That's good. There are a number of receivers in the league that could have wide receiver two weeks with nine targets. Sammy Watkins just had a wide receiver one week with half that number of targets. So it's possible. Wide receivers have done it. They've done all, they can do a lot with nine targets, especially when facing the Eagles secondary. Here's the problem. We knew that Brandon LaFell was unlikely to do a lot with those targets. Why? Because if you go to playerprofiler.com, you can see why Brandon LaFell was unlikely to do much with those targets. Efficiency metrics on playerprofiler.com for Brandon LaFell are as follows. Production premium, negative 30.1. 96th in the league, negative 39.4 target premium, 94th in the league. So on a per-target basis amongst Patriots receivers, no one is worse than Brandon LaFell. That's what that negative 39.4% target premium tells you about Brandon LaFell. 7.3 yards per target is outside the top 60. 44.7% catch rate is the worst among qualified receivers in the league. 40% contested catch rate. I mean, every single metric 
outside the top 60 for Brandon LaFell. And yet, I was thinking, oh, well, he'll receive targets and he'll convert those targets into catches and yards and touchdowns. That sounds very reasonable. No, it's not reasonable. This is the reason why Player Profiler exists. I have lamented on this show that many fantasy analysts have spouted wrong-headed thoughts, inaccurate projections about players, and if they had just visited playerprofiler.com, it would have solved their problems. I lament this on the show all the time. Why are you touting this player? Just look him up on playerprofiler.com and you'll realize why you touting that player doesn't make sense. Why it's just wrong. It's the reason why the site exists. I say this all the time. It's the reason the site exists. It's the reason the site exists. It's the reason the site exists. So you won't make these mistakes with Brandon LaFell. You're the owner of Player Profiler. It's the reason the site exists. Look up Brandon LaFell and you won't make this mistake. I just can't believe it. I can't believe it. I am who I hate. I am the wrong-headed, knucklehead fantasy analyst. That's just adding the number of targets and then the projection. The <laughs> efficiency schmishency. <gasps> That's what killed me. I didn't even use my own website to make my own website's player projections for week 13. I deserve to fail. And we deserve to have zero visitors to the website for a period of 24 hours. Something. Some sort of suspension. I should be suspended for at least a day for the Brandon LaFell projection. That is on me. Because I didn't use the very website in which the projections were published on. Think about that. But then to make myself feel better, I go to Twitter. And I start to read bad analysis from other people. And then I feel better about myself. Because that's how it works, right? You feel bad about yourself. You go out and you criticize others so you feel better. That's the world. And I'm part of the world. I do the same thing you do. I do that. So this weekend I read this. Greg Olson has been bad this year. Oh, God. Here we go. Low catch rate. Drops passes. Propped up by huge volume. Travis Kelsey would do more with Greg Olson's targets. Oh, boy. Oh, that analysis was painful to read, but I read it. It was real analysis from someone who's in the fantasy game. Yeah, oh yeah. Basically unfalsifiable, fortune teller style gibberish. If Travis Kelsey were in Greg Olson's shoes, he would do more with those targets because why? Because I said so. That's why. I can prove nothing. I just said it to say it. And I'll say it again. If you ask me why, I'll just say the same thing again. But that's called an efficiency trap. I see this a lot in bad analysis. This idea that as a player's volume goes up, that he's supposed to maintain his efficiency. That's impossible. Great volume necessarily degrades efficiency. Because when you command great volume, you also command more attention from the defense, more double coverage. You receive more, less accurate passes. Because the quarterback is relying on you. When he's in trouble, he's heaving it up to you. So your catch rate will decrease for those reasons. You have the full attention of defenders. So of course, your catch rate is going to suffer. And if you receive 100 plus targets like Greg Olson receives every year out of the tight end position with safeties bearing down on you with every play, of course, you're going to drop more passes than a low volume player. Of course, that's the most natural and intuitive thing you could possibly think up in your mind's eye imagining a tight end going over the middle 
over and over and over again, over 100 times. Is he going to drop some passes? <laughs> you better believe it. If you're human, you're going to drop some of those passes. And yes, Greg Olson is human. Barely. It's, it's hard to believe that he's human because of how many consecutive games he's played and how few injuries he's suffered. But he is actually a human being. He's an amazing human being. I love Greg Olson. So if there is a player I love player I respect, a player who I think is perpetually underrated, when I start seeing someone say he's overrated, that he's a bad player, that is one of the few instances where I will get motivated to defend a player on social media. I do very little bickering on social media, but once in a while, it leaks out of me when I see criticism of one of the great players, one of the players I love that I believe, particularly if, if that player has been underrated for a long time, as Greg Olson has been underrated. Greg Olson's been underrated for years. So when Greg Olson's catch rate, of all things, is pinpointed as a critique, while ignoring all the other positive aspects on his profile, I just stand up and yell, CONFIRMATION BIAS! CONFIRMATION BIAS! CONFIRMATION BIAS! Everybody, there's confirmation bias here! It's when I become the obnoxious critic of the analyst. It just screams out, hey, I'm a guy that doesn't own Greg Olson, but right now I'm getting beat by Greg Olson in my matchup, and I'm lashing out with a cherry-picked metric, the catch rate stat. And again, I don't do a lot of trolling on social media, but when I see that phenomenon, the cherry-picking of the one metric to criticize the one player just because you don't own him, and someone else is beating you with him when I see that phenomenon unfolding, and it was very transparent when it happens. It always inspires me to jump in and tear that analyst apart. Because not only was that analyst simply wrong that Greg Olson is overrated and bad at football, it's the complete opposite. I mean, as I said before, Greg Olson has been perpetually underrated, evidenced by the fact that he was, again, drafted behind players like Jimmy Graham and Travis Kelsey this year. He's never been drafted in the top three tight ends. Yet each and every year, that's where he finishes. Last year, he led the league in a number of metrics. What about this year? Again, leading the league in targets and leading the league in target share. He's already up over 100 targets. Already! 12.2% hog rate, eighth in the league. Second in the league among tight ends in red zone target share. He's top five in every counting stat. Receptions, receiving yards, air yards, yards after the catch, red zone receptions, TDs, fantasy points per game, positive production premium in the top 20, positive target premium in the top 20, top 10 yards per target, top 10 contested catch rate. He's absorbed close to 20 contested catches already, and he has a 50% contested catch rate. A 50% contested catch rate is terrific, whether it's a wide receiver, running back, tight end. The standard is a 50% catch rate. Anything above 50% is seen as exceptional. So don't complain to me about Greg Olson's drops when he's posting a 50% contested catch rate. And Cam Newton is great at a lot of things. Cam Newton has an amazing skill set across the board. It's hard to find a more talented quarterback than Cam Newton. But if you had to criticize one aspect of Cam Newton's game, it would be his accuracy. And so Greg Olson is catching footballs from not the most accurate quarterback in the league. And he is the focal point of that offense and the focal point of the opposing defense. So is the fact that Greg Olson has a 57% catch rate, is that surprising? Is that a concern? No! His catch rate last year, though, 68.3%. Top 25 in the league. So maybe it's just randomness. 
Maybe when you look at his contested catch rate and you look at his catch rate from years past, maybe the fact that we're always dealing in small samples because every NFL season only has 16 games and 100 targets isn't a large sample, isn't a big number, that the most likely reason, once you look at the full profile on Greg Olson, the most likely reason for the low catch rate is randomness. Why? Because Greg Olson is terrific. So good. So annoying that anyone would criticize him. Baseless. Ridiculous. But then, after you explain this to someone, they'll come back and say the following. Well, I don't have to listen to your criticism of my misguided analysis. Let's change the subject from Greg Olson to you. Because I'm comfortable with my bad Greg Olson analysis. Because you've made some bad calls this year. You see that pivot happen all the time. You're talking about something. The topic is player X. And then suddenly, someone changes the subject to, well, you've been wrong before. Oh, that's the worst. (laughs) The derailing of a perfectly fine argument where both sides are learning something immediately gets derailed when someone throws the grenade. Oh, you've been wrong before. Oh, here we go. Yeah, no shit. I've been wrong before. Do you know how many players I've analyzed this year? Do you know how many strident opinions I come out with every year? And then you say, oh, well, you've been wrong plenty this year. Yeah, you think? Of course I have. How many players have I talked about? Of course I've been wrong plenty, quote unquote. (laughs) Now we're in the season. Tis the season. Mid-December. Fantasy teams are being eliminated. And the fantasy gamers themselves are starting to feel bad. There's starting to be some self-loathing, so there starts to be some lashing out. Whenever you start seeing lashing out, go back to the roots, follow it to the source, and it's usually self-loathing. And the self-loathing is caused by the failure of one's fantasy team. So this is the season when you start to see the ex post facto du jour hack wannabes come out and criticize the guys with the big microphones, criticize the analysts, that have the well-known opinions about certain players, criticize people like me who have strident opinions, criticize us for our wrong calls, quote-unquote. We were wrong, yes. And I know you were wrong because the results are now in. It's now December, and we know if you were right or wrong, so now I can look back and see if you were right or wrong, and I have a little clipboard here where I can check off next to every player. You were right. You were wrong. You were right. You were wrong. You were right. You were wrong. And that's what I'm here for. I'm here to hold you accountable. And that's what I'm doing right now on social media, holding you accountable. Oh, God. (sighs) Whenever I see one of these accountability parasites run across the floor, I always ask, do you even listen to the show? Do you? Do you even listen to the show? If you think I'm more wrong than right, do you ever even listen to the show? Do you? Do you listen to the show? Do you listen to the show? No response. Because what do they think? They think that my opinions extend to Tevin Coleman, and that's the end. Just Tevin Coleman. But take Tevin Coleman. Yes, I was wrong about Tevin Coleman. That's the loud, strident opinion I'm most known for, is that When people think of Matt Kelly, they think of a guy that likes Tevin Coleman because that's the YouTube clip that went viral. So let's let's talk about Tevin Coleman for a moment. You can hit on every mid-round running back, right? Isn't that right? You can. People do it, right? Smart people do it all the time. They hit on all their mid-round running backs. They tout running back X, Y, and Z. Those running backs hit. They fade running back A, B, and C, and those running backs fail. You see that all the time, right? 
right? Most fantasy analysts hit on all their mid-round running backs, right? That's very common, right? No, it's impossible! You feel good when you hit on one or two. I felt great when I hit on Chris Ivory and Mark Ingram. Someone else might feel great when they hit on Doug Martin and Devonta Freeman. Usually, you're going to hit on one mid-round running back, and then you're going to get a Deion Lewis off waivers. And then if Deion Lewis goes down, you might get a Buck Allen. That's how it works. That's real life running a fantasy team. Most people that have good fantasy teams, that's what their running backs look like. It's someone like Chris Ivory and then someone like Deion Lewis slash Buck Allen. But I just happen to have a Tevin Coleman YouTube clip that went viral. So I'm the guy that was wrong about Tevin Coleman. No one else was wrong about Tevin Coleman. I'm the guy. I should just have wrong about Tevin Coleman tattooed on my forehead. I don't know why I haven't done that yet. That's a great idea. I should do that. I'm going to schedule that tomorrow with my tattoo artist. Is that what you call a tattoo artist? Contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us rotounderworld at gmail.com. What do you call a tattoo artist? Is, it a, is that what it is? A tattoo artist? If you have a tattoo artist, if, if you have a go-to guy, is that my artist? What do, you, what do you call that? I don't know. It's a dumb question. But yeah, the one tout that I had that received the most public traction happened to be the one that was also the most wrong. So of course, some people will perceive me as that guy that was wrong about Tevin Coleman. Oh, but also, wait, wait, you were also wrong about Charles Johnson. Oh yes, of course, yes, of course, yes, yes. You're right, you're right. But just hear me out for a moment. Just wanna look at some facts just for a second. It's fun to criticize my bad forecasts from the past. But, 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 just for the record, because this, we have this binder, I'm going to pull the binder out, and we're going to just get this on the record. Full disclosure, who were some of the other players drafted in the rounds in which Charles Johnson and Tevin Coleman were drafted in 2015? Those players are as follows. Peyton Manning, Nelson Aguilar, Joyke Bell, Isaiah Crowell, Mike Wallace, Martellus Bennett, Roddy White, Rashad Jennings, Trey Mason, Ryan Matthews, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, and Shane Vereen. Okay. I wasn't wrong about those guys. I was wrong about two of the other guys that didn't work out in those rounds. Why? Because those rounds have a lot of bad players in them. The mid-rounds are a fantasy graveyard. Everybody knows that. It's challenging to pick the right players in those rounds. Duh. <laughs> what? Only Larry Fitzgerald, Eric Decker, and LeGarrette Blunt actually outperformed their draft position in those rounds. But I was also an advocate for Eric Decker. Once Macklin, Marshall, and Allen Robinson were gone, I was picking Eric Decker. I was an advocate for LeGarrette Blunt. Once Chris Ivory was off the board, I just wasn't as vocal about it. There wasn't a YouTube clip that received 7,000 hits about me talking about LeGarrette Blunt. And no one is a bigger fan of Allen Robinson in a vacuum than me. I own Allen Robinson everywhere. <laughs> we came out a year and a half ago comparing Allen Robinson to Des Bryant. The metrics showed that the Allen Robinson to Des Bryant comp was as close as any wide receiver comp in the playerprofiler.com database. That happened. So, of course, I love Allen Robinson. My God. I just wasn't sure if Blake Bortles was the next Ryan Lindley, and I think that was a legitimate concern. 
So I didn't own him in every redraft league, but I owned him in some. I owned him in the Roto Underworld redraft league, the league that you guys are in. I owned Allen Robinson this year. I mean, it kills me. But Allen Robinson and DeAndre Hopkins exemplified an important lesson for me this year. The most important lesson that I learned that will help me in the future came from Allen Robinson and DeAndre Hopkins. The fact that bad quarterback play influences a wide receiver more if that wide receiver is not the primary option. So the quarterback matters a lot more to the output of the number two and the number three receiver than it does the number one receiver. That was an important lesson that I learned very well this year. So in the future, I will continue to be wrong about players like Alan Hearns, but I will no longer be wrong about players like Alan Robinson. But yes, I love Alan Robinson. I own him in more leagues than I don't own him. And in leagues where I didn't own him, I missed him this year very much. But those mid-rounds, once Alan Robinson was off the board, rounds 8, 9, 10, oof. Those rounds where I was targeting Tevin Coleman, that was a fantasy graveyard, as it is most years. And criticizing my Tevin Coleman 8th round draft pick. I mean, cherry picking the worst forecast that a particular fantasy analyst makes, and then retroactively sending him a tweet from four months ago, retweeting that tweet, going back into the archives and finding bad analysis from four months ago. I mean, that is the height of cheesy. It is the cheesy actions of a self-loathing, weak-minded individual. But you see it all the time in fantasy football, and it's maddening to me. These weak-minded trolls play the result criticizing fantasy analysts after the results have come in. That's not the time to criticize. I'm a very vocal critic of fantasy analysts. I did it throughout the summer. I criticized Jake Seeley from Roto Experts for propping up CJ Anderson. I criticized JJ Zacharian from Number Fire for shredding Derek Carr. I criticized Johnny Rumford from Bro Jackson for fading David Johnson, and on and on and on. I have critic street cred. You know this. Johnny Rumford went as far to block me after I criticized him. And good for him. I would have blocked me too. Because I'm blocking all of you Twitter jerks who vandalize my tweets with irrelevant criticism of things I predicted that didn't come true four months ago. I did a whole show lamenting the Twitter vandal and how I have a zero-tolerance policy for that individual. Because that individual hates himself more than he hates me. But that's okay, I can still hate him. Because once the results come in, the game is over, guys. You don't need to talk about it anymore. The results are in. The conversation is over. No one cares. Move on. You don't need to remind me of one of my bad forecasts. One of the over 100 forecasts I made. Thanks. And you'll never see me juxtaposing analysis with results once the answer has been revealed. Because who would do that? You just don't see me doing that. I enjoy shredding the analysis of others. But you will never see me playing the result. You just won't do it. That's not what I do. Most of my criticism happens in July and August. Think about it. Because of course. Because who would do that? Who would jump in in December with a wagging finger? Well, the answer is a lot of people would. A lot of cheesy people, that's who. 
You all are so obnoxious with your transparent lashing out, blaming someone else, anyone else, for your shitty, failed fantasy team. You are such a plague that Johnny Rumford has resorted to retweeting his own bad calls from August just to get out ahead of you vandalist knuckle-draggers. But you know who loses, right? Do you know who loses? We all do. Because the more you harass those who forecast player performance, the less courage those individuals will have in the future to be contrarian. And then you'll have less diversity with your sports opinions. Is that what you want? Because that's the consequence of the action of the December trolling that you all are doing with your failed fantasy teams. You're already seeing this happen. You're already seeing the dilution of fantasy analysis and opinion giving. How much courage do you see in fantasy articles nowadays? We have 400 waiver wire articles all touting Alan Hearns for five straight weeks. <laughs> Alan Hearns is a good pickup. 49% <laughs> owned. <laughs> That's your fault because of your zeal to quote unquote, hold people accountable, shaming smart people, silencing unique voices and perspectives because they just don't want to deal with this zombie dude fantasy bra army. Take a weatherman. A local weatherman makes multiple forecasts each day, which adds up to hundreds of forecasts a year. So dismissing that weatherman's entire body of work because of two inaccurate forecasts is the height of asinine behavior. But you see it all the time in fantasy football. And it's exasperating to me. This after-the-fact cherry-picking. It's the worst. I mean, that weatherman could be the best weatherman in America. But it rained on April 13th, 2008. And it didn't snow on December 11th, 2012. You fraud! Liar! You got the weather wrong! The hell is wrong with you people? The reason I'm not actually bothered by this zombie dude fantasy bruh army is because they don't actually listen to the show. That's the thing I take comfort in. They don't know how adamant I was about both Johnsons and Carlos Williams and Buck Allen. How I was right telling people to steer clear of Matt Jones and David Cobb and Jay Ajayi and Mike Davis and not get caught up in the exuberance of Amir Abdullah and TJ Yeldon. You all that are actually listeners to the show, you all know this. You're not who I'm talking about. The Roto Underworld audience, the minions, the buzzards, you're actually not the people I'm talking about. I'm talking about the dude fantasy bruh zombie army that follows me on Twitter, but doesn't actually listen to the show. And it's clear they don't listen to the show by their criticism of me on social media. And it's just wearying. And I wasn't just right about Julio Jones and Alshon Jeffrey, the guys a lot of the mainstream generic fantasy analysts were talking about. No, 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 no. I was an ardent critic of those touting Justin Forsett. Because a 197-pound running back maintaining a bell cow role for the first time in his career at 30 years old is completely far-fetched. I told you to stay away from Jeremy Hill, who's been usable for a total of three games this year. Full frontal attack, as I mentioned earlier, on those touting CJ Anderson, those criticizing Derek Carr. Those that listen to the show know this. You know I was in the tank for Jameis Winston, who is now a QB1. And I told you the Texans blundered when they let Ryan Fitzpatrick go. 
I mocked Isaiah Crowell for being overrated. Andre Ellington for being the most injury-prone running back in the league. Alfred Blue for being a below-replacement talent. I called the Eifert and ASJ breakouts. I touted Delani Walker. I hate Owen Daniels. <sighs> but you all know this. You're with me, and I love you.